Welcome to the SOAR podcast. Thank you for your support. If you want to continue to support this podcast, there are a few things you can do for me. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would give me a five-star rating. And if you really feel motivated, go ahead and write a review. So welcome to SOAR, the Sisters Overcoming and Rising podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie, your host, and I'm here to help women overcome limiting beliefs so that they can live their best lives. Sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. It's time for transformation, time for healing. You've got the potential, you've got the power now. And our topic for tonight, non-conforming. I have to fit in to be included. I would like to introduce my special guest who is Miss Robin Renee. Robin Renee is a recording artist, writer, activist, and longtime organizer in the bisexual and polyamory communities. Her written work has appeared in Curve Magazine, The Songwriters Market, Biff Bam Pop, WeirdoMusic.com, That Takes Ovaries, Bold Females and Their Brazen Acts by Random House, Blessed by Spirit, Bisexual People of Faith, Continuum Press, and many other publications. Robin's recordings include In Progress, All Six Senses, Live Devotion, which is her first album dedicated wholly to Sacred Chant, Spirit Rocks Sexy, This and All I Am. Robin's work and life flow in the current between black and white, gay and straight, masculine and feminine, monastic and mundane. Along with Wendy Sheridan and Mary McGinley, Robin Renee co-hosts The Leftscape, a podcast dedicated to exploring politics, culture, and conversation through a progressive lens. Welcome to SOAR, Robin Renee. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yes, it's good to have you. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about non-conforming. Do we have to fit in to be included? Now, this is one of those topics where we're leaning in to some things that may be a little bit uncomfortable or taboo for some. But one of my goals is for us to expand sisterhood. Most of us are really comfortable with our sisters who think like us and have similar life experiences. And honestly, we can be cliquish if we're being honest. (laughs) But if we're really going to support and empower one another on a large scale, we need to make room for all of our sisters. So when I first proposed this topic, what came to mind for you? I thought about this and I, I said the first thing that really came to mind was my own imposter syndrome. <laughs> you know, I, I had this feeling of like, what can I really contribute to this topic? And, you know, because I've often struggled with wanting to fit in more than I do in a lot of places and, you know, wondering, well, deciding that it's really essential for me to be all of myself, regardless of what happens, you know, and, and but it hasn't been an easy thing in a lot of ways, you know, and to wind up really feeling and being all of myself without apology so at first I was like, do I have anything to really say about this? And I realized, you know, it really is that tension and that struggle 
that is the conversation. You know, so mm-hmm. many of us are in that kind of dilemma and uh, finding spaces to talk about who we are and supporting each other is really what matters. So I came to really appreciate your defining the topic that way. Yeah. So you decided to lean in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Great. And I am so grateful that you did. Now, the way we even met is because, well, we were introduced by somebody, but the thing that we have in common is that you are a co-host of a very successful podcast called Leftscape. And you have a beautiful website, by the way. I just wanted to make sure to acknowledge I love the website and how it's set up and how people can interact and leave comments. But I would love for you to tell us a little bit more. The The thing that stuck out for me is that you described the podcast as being born out of the shock of the 2016 election. But tell us more about the podcast and what you do on Leftscape. First of all, thank you very much for the compliment on the website. Um, I am a co-host along with two friends, Wendy Sheridan and Mary McGinley. And yes, the election of Trump really shocked a lot of people out of complacency, I would say. You know, there there was nothing about it ultimately that was surprising in terms of, I was well aware of the elements of the culture that could lead to something like that, but it was so crystal clear with an election of Donald Trump, really, um, with the xenophobia and racism that really started out of the gate in terms of his campaigning to, you know, the way things wound up progressing in that time frame. It was really very frightening in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. the three of us wanted to do something, you know, whether that was more activism or whatever, however that manifested. And it did manifest in that way, that way in different forms for us. But one of the things that we knew that we could do was to create a space for diverse voices. And so that's really what we did. It was, it was, a place for us to talk about, you know, the way we were staying aware of the political shifts and what we wanted to present in that way. And also put together segments where we could really have conversations that needed to be had, whether it's about race or gender or economics or whatever that is, you know, plus some of some more personal things as well. Like we talk about self-care and, and personal and professional development and share bits of culture that we geek out about and that sort of thing. So <laughs> we try to, create sort of a full circle in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the variety of topics that you have. And it's not just a political podcast. There are so many political podcasts out there. I feel like I get FOMO when I can't listen to all of them. But between the podcast and the news, there's there's just so much. But I would love to hear your take on what you really feel that makes Leftscape unique. And Who's the audience that you're trying to reach with your podcast? Sure. Yes. I know what you mean about all the things that they're out there to listen to, too. I always have a list of more than I can get to. Um, (laughs) But for us, we are, well, our tagline is the shape of progressive conversation. And so we're speaking to people who think of themselves on the progressive end of the spectrum and want to dive into the conversations that we have amongst ourselves, as well as organizing around what we need to do out in the world you know so what makes us different we are not pundits by any means you know i listen to a lot of punditry sometimes like maybe more than i should (laughs) Um, (laughs) me too (laughs) right but we are you know we're just regular people trying to 
figure out what's going on politically and we're learning as we go we're muddling through the world so we're sort of having that conversation along with our listeners in some ways um and we talk to people who can add another piece to the puzzle mm. in our interviews we try to do that we um the three of us as co-hosts have similarities we've known each other a long time but we also come from very three different walks of life and we have different approaches to life in in ways that kind of makes it interesting and we've got silliness to go with <laughs> to go with like mm-hmm. the seriousness of some of the things that are happening politically as well we we do some random facts and again like i said we we, we get into some pretty emotional conversations about real life stuff you know and our audiences you know they want to talk about activism feminism economics racial equity all those kinds of things and pop culture as well and we sort of look at pop culture through a progressive lens and talk about how we experience those things so i think it comes together to be be something that's that's a little bit different than a lot of the other things that are out there we're really happy to be sharing it definitely definitely sounds very unique and i love the way you kind of balance it with as you said the things that you geek out over, the cultural things, and then the silliness, because, you know, we need balance because politics right now, especially if you're on the progressive spectrum of it, is really scary. So it's nice to have some fun and silliness that goes along with that. Right. And we have some, you know, some of the self-care piece, I think, is really important, too. We have a segment we call the the blanket fort. And sometimes you just need to retreat. You know, it's not a full on trudge constantly. So we look at some of the things that help us heal and relax. I love that, the blanket fort. So that's like the forts that you built when you were a kid and you put the (laughs) chairs together and the blankets and you just crawl in. Exactly. Uh, Yes, I used to love doing that as a child. And and that's a great metaphor for what we do need to do. I like to say that one of the things I enjoy about sisterhood is that when we have a strong sisterhood and a strong community that we can take turns, right? We can pass the baton. We don't always have to be fighting. We can take breaks and let our sisters pick up where we left off. So I'm right on board with you with the self-care and allowing ourselves to have a retreat to go to. Yes, very, very important. Absolutely. So I am really curious because your podcast has been around for a while, you know, uh, it's for a few years now. What episode is you are you the most proud of or that turned out unexpectedly in a good way? That is such a hard question. I thought about it for a while. It's it's really hard to pick one. So I picked a couple, if that's okay. I won't take up too much time explaining them, but I, I want to say a couple, yeah. Um, we did one in July, which was Black Masculinity and the She-Ra Finale was the name of that episode, mm-hmm. which was cool. And we spoke to uh, Dylan Carmichael, who was a 24-year-old that I discovered on Instagram, actually, originally. And he has a project called Redefining Black Masculinity, where he just really deals with portraying images and giving a sense of power to black men of all walks of life. And it's really, really beautiful. Um, He's done some videos and some other just ways of connecting and staying in community. And that I thought was a really cool conversation. And it was paired with our, our segment, that the three of us, the three co-hosts you did afterwards was discussion on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, 
which was a fantastic animated series on that Netflix, which I really loved. And we all, all really appreciated it. And that series was had so much to say about gender and power and people with differences and challenges learning to shine that I just was really excited about the series and, and talking about there's lots of spoilers in it, of course, but it was just a really good, um, good overall show. I love the way that held together. And another recent one was with a, an interview with Reverend Yolanda, who is a singer songwriter and identifies as a trans femme, gender queer performance artist and interfaith minister, which is a whole lot to say. And she's really a mouthful. <laughs> yes. And she's really fascinating. Um, She's got an amazing life story, and she put just put out a new album called uh, Yolanda Nanda, which incorporates um, some mantra chanting and singer-songwriter storytelling, and it's sort of, it, it is in some ways akin to some of what I've done, and we just had a really great time talking with each other, and uh, that was a good, that was just a great show. Well, I definitely plan to check out both of those episodes, and it's really interesting how Sometimes in stories, we can tell the truth about humanity and society before we can kind of tell the truth in real life and especially with animation. And I've noticed how powerful storytelling is in, in terms of telling those stories of equality, like you mentioned with Shira. So I'll have to go watch that as well. Yes, it's a, it's a good, it's five seasons and I still have more to watch because we started discussing it in season four when Wendy saw some things that that she thought were really interesting in terms of the discussing race and equity. And it was an interesting thing, uh, an interesting series of conversations that were happening in the show at the time. And so I watched some of the beginning of it and I watched the fourth and fifth seasons. So I understand the arc of the story, but since I, I wound up loving it so much, there's others bits that I, I want to go back and watch the whole thing. So I really don't miss anything. It's, it's very, very worth it. Well, now that we're going into the winter and can't go out much with COVID, this is the perfect time to binge on some Netflix, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to also um, talk about your work as a recording artist and a writer. And I'm excited that we got to play two of your songs on the radio show tonight. So I would love for you to just share your journey as a recording artist. Like, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to uh, be a recording artist? And, and how did that come to be? And what has your, your journey been like? Sure. I believe I wrote my first song when I was seven. I started piano lessons pretty early and just... It was just part of what I wanted to do and started a band at eight, and when I was 10. And we went wow. out actually uh, in a couple years playing around the junior high school sort of choral circuit, I guess you could say, which was very <laughs> funny to get to, uh, to get to do a little bit of minor touring, I guess, at that age. And, you know, and it just really grew from there. I've always been very interested in the sciences and also music. Those dual interests had pretty much always been there since I was a kid. And, you know, as I got older, I wound up in a band called Spy Gods just during college and post-college, uh, which was one of the most influential 
times, I would say, for me creatively. I became primarily a solo artist around 2000, I would say, after being in various bands and that sort of thing. And I would say that my music is mostly it's mostly rock based singer songwriter based um i have like a i love new wave and punk rock so between that and sort mm-hmm. of some of the more uh, quieter folk sounds that i like it sort of merges into that realm and i recorded a couple of albums around that time in progress and all six senses and um you know so i did a bunch of touring on my own as a as mostly acoustic guitar performances around the country and uh, a little bit later into that part of my career i mm-hmm. was really more and more interested in indian mantra and the practice of a, a kirtan which is like a call and response chanting practice that originates from india and so that just sort of made its way into my music eventually it just felt like it was very so relevant in my world that that sort of became part of what I did as well. And I wound up recording two albums that are based in that tradition. One is called Live Devotion and one is called This. And now I'm just interested in allowing whatever needs to show up to come out. You know, I think that that spiritual piece is is, is there very much there. I have more songs and storytelling type things that i want to mm-hmm. present so that's sort of in the forefront of my mind right now but i'm always curious like because your your music interests you said punk rock and folk and and a little bit spiritual who were your um the, the musicians that you looked up to or that you feel like you kind of patterned yourself after in the early stages that is a good question. Uh, well, my very earliest influences are kind of what was on the radio and, you know, it's sort of not, I mean, it, it's all influential, but I would say that a, a lot of the singer-songwriters that I I listened to Jackson Brown growing up mm-hmm. and sort of uh, a lot of the storytellers and maybe earnest, a little, maybe even a little more earnest than I like to be in my work, but sometimes it still winds up that way, you know? I like that. I loved Elvis yeah. Costello. David Bowie really is a huge hero of mine in a lot of ways. Wow. Uh, Richie Havens was great. There's so much, you know, because then you go into New Wave and dance. I like a lot of sort of dance music. And I definitely was like a club kid, although it's not really the music mm-hmm. I make so much, but it informs my energy and my life in a lot of ways. So a lot of funk and disco and new wave and things that are more pop entertainment oriented are all in that soup of what I like, you know, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes what I create sounds like songs I listen to. Sometimes it's something else. It's sort of a third thing. It's not what I absorb and it's not what I definitely, what I set out to make it something that yeah. just shows up. It's it, interesting. It is. It's very interesting. Creating, and it's very it's unique to process. each individual. And it sounds like you started off at a pretty early age with musical influences. Were your parents musicians? And how many instruments do you play? Sure. My parents were not musicians, although there was music around all the time. I, I kind of realized later than I would imagine how much of an influence they really had on me because mm-hmm. I always had my dad was a huge jazz person. And it's interesting that I didn't necessarily hear his music as much around the house, but it, but it was a, an influence. My mom loved 
I think it's closer to what I mm-hmm. wound up picking up on. She loved the singer songwriter. She loved Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. She Soul Train was always on every Saturday, so that was in the background too. But I was thinking uh, not that long ago how my dad brought home Kraftwerk's album Audubon, which is like this sort of a very classic electronica, early <laughs> electronic album, and that mesmerized me. And then my mom was like talking about Dylan's lyrics and was really excited about that. And somehow if you pour those two things into my head, you come up with something a lot like what I'm really passionate about now. Right. So like, right. Okay, you can I see can the influences. How that happened. Um, and you so know? you play piano and you said acoustic guitar. Do you play any other yeah. instruments? I play acoustic guitar. I play harmonium, which is a keyboard instrument that I play often with my chant type music. And that's like a drone instrument. Sort of. It sounds like a, uh, huh. Uh, it has like an accordion type sound to it, um, which is kind of interesting. So I play that various keyboards. <laughs> I fake it on percussion. I won't say I'm a great percussionist, but you know, I, awesome. I, I like to play. Now, the two songs that you picked for this radio show, if you could just, you know, it's always interesting to hear the artist perspective of their songs. So I would love to get the, you know, the inside scoop about what inspired you to create the songs and why you thought why you picked them for this show sure um the first song that i picked was a song called all i am and that really Mm. does speak to the theme of non-conforming i think and that just really struck me as as a celebration of that for me it's about my personal journey of being some of the things that I think of that makes up all of me as being a musician and a multiracial person, a polyamorous person. So the song kind of has a couple of little stories in it or alludes to a couple of different stories that speak to that. And it also really invites the listener to sing along and to celebrate being all of themselves as well. So I feel like it's a really positive, kind of an upbeat song. And the other one I chose was Blessed Be Namaste. And that, in some ways, it, it's doing the same thing but from another's perspective. It's a song of blessing. And the title line speaks to two different spiritual perspectives that feel very important to me and have a deep resonance for me. Uh, blessed Be is a phrase and a blessing that you hear in the, uh, con- the spiritual tradition that comes out of somewhat, well, Western Europe mm-hmm. and and paganism from that part of the world, I suppose you could say. And then uh, Namaste is a greeting and a way of blessing in Eastern contemplative traditions. And I feel like a lot of those elements meet in in me and my spiritual path. So it was really ultimately a way of saying we can bring these things together, like however they show up for us. And That's it's all beautiful love and it's all positive love that connection when we spoke i guess it's been a few months now uh time is really flying one of the things that really impressed me even before we you know met was your courage just to be your authentic self even when it did not conform to society's picture of what you you they might think you should be just based on looking at you and you shared with me that you've done it your entire life. So you never really thought about how courageous you were being. 
And so I was curious as to, you know, when you reflect on that, what are the opportunities and gifts that you have gained by willing, by being willing to not conform and just kind of leaning into being yourself? That is a hard question. I think that one of the big things is that I know that I, I am who I say I am. Like there's really not a big gap between how I present mm -hmm. myself in the world and who I understand myself to be. You know, it's always fun to, it's fun to play in images and how you dress or things like that can change, you know, but I don't live in a way that makes me have to become someone else entirely when I'm in this situation or mm -hmm. someone else somewhere else, uh, in another place. And I feel like that's super important to me. It's sometimes scary, you know, it's easy to feel like life would be simpler if I decided to conform to one thing or another thing that would make me more palatable to like a certain group, whatever that is. But I think the gift is in mm -hmm. insisting mm -hmm. on really finding your people. And it, you know, yeah. And it sounds and like it sounds like really matter. just that. Um, and, and I would think that if you were not just being your true authentic self, you would have probably missed out on finding your tribe and finding those people who really appreciate you for who you are. And that's such a gift because, you know, even if you are conforming to somebody else's standards, a lot of times you, you never find those people who truly appreciate you and see you for who you are. You know, some people go through their whole lives without feeling like they're, they're being seen. Uh, so I would say that that's a huge gift. Yeah, I think it is. And as I say, it's, it's not an easy path. I feel like I made a conscious decision when I was pretty young that I can take this path of living according to what I think society wants out of me or to do this other thing. And I definitely chose the, the other thing. <laughs> so I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. As I'm still on that, I'm still yeah, on that road. And I'm sure it comes with its challenges overall, as well sure. <laughs> as the opportunities, right? Yeah. I am mm, a firm believer that it's human nature for us to either fear or reject or be uncomfortable with things that we don't understand or people that we don't understand. So in this world, in order to create a society that's more loving and accepting and tolerant, I think it's always great that we get to know other people, especially people that we may not get to know as well. So I'm thankful for your willingness just to allow myself and my listeners to get to know you better. And one of the things that you describe yourself as is an activist and an organizer in the bisexual and polyamory communities. And some of my listeners may not know what that means. So I would be so grateful if you could explain what you do as an organizer in the bisexual and polyamory community. Sure. Uh, I would say that the simple answer is that I create space for people to socialize and, and be themselves. That's sort of the, the, the simple answer. And that's something that I've found is my strength. You know, I, I am a person that can go out and march in the streets when it's time to march in the streets or to 
contact your congressperson about various issues and that sort of thing. But I think ultimately mm-hmm. my greatest strength is just sort of holding space for people. So I came out as a bisexual person when I was 12 years old, actually. And it's just what I had come to understand about myself fairly young, which I'm grateful for and grateful for being able to start to talk about that to people I trusted, you know, and for me, that means that I'm attracted to people of more than one gender. And I also identify myself as gender fluid. So I'm just that, that I'm open to those possibilities personally. And so I've been part of various organizations that really advocate for people understand having a great, gaining a greater understanding about bisexuality uh, as part of the greater LGBTQ community and the unique experiences that we have with bi erasure and people sort of just not believing that bisexuality exists or just misunderstanding it. So being able to uh, give a voice and a face to, to bisexuality has been important to me as well as, as I said, just creating social events where People just go out and have coffee together or get together and discuss coming out issues or just just plain, you know, just having social time. Um, so that's one thing. And similarly in the polyamory community, and those are different issues. So polyamory is the practice or, you know, the understanding of oneself as being able to have more than one romantic relationship at a time with mm-hmm full consent and understanding of all those involved. So we could call it non, non-monogamy, you know, uh, consensual non-monogamy is another word. for. It's more of an umbrella term for various forms of openness in relationships. And just so I'm clear too, just we're talking about these two things together, but people of all sexualities may be polyamorous and or monogamous and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I happen to be bisexual and poly also. And so... In polyamory, again, it's a situation where I think uh, people assume that monogamy is the standard or the ultimate goal for relationship. And I just really stand for the idea that we we all get to choose and create the relationships that we want and, and that are most powerful and fulfilling for us. And for me, love shows up in such a way that monogamy isn't really a factor mm-hmm. love is exists in a more expansive way for me so regardless if i'm dating someone or i'm partnered with with someone or more than one person or however that is it's sort of an essence of who i am and how i understand mm-hmm. love for that myself. was a very um beautiful and clear explanation and i think in your explanation you sort of answered some of the questions that might come up what i heard you say was that uh, when you are being an activist for the bisexual community, one of the main things that you have to explain to people is that, you know, not erasing the fact that bisexuality exists, that it's not just you're gay or straight or trans, that there is, you know, that, you know, talk speaking against the erasure. So when it comes to polyamory, what would you say is the, thing that you have to correct or the most often for people, the thing that people get wrong most often with that? Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a list. <laughs> I think, I think the thing that people 
misunderstand the most, at least that I've experienced personally, is that there's an idea that if you're not okay. with only one person, then you're not serious. You know, like you don't want to commit or you're not interested in actually being in love or you're just playing around or something like that. There's something more akin to an idea of being a player or a swinger possibly or something that isn't about and and you know well i think misleading somebody into be, you know being a player in that kind of way that's not good <laughs> if you're a swinger or whatever i'm not uh judge, judging that but uh, polyamory speaks more to multiple relating that has to do with more than just a sexual experience it's about recognizing how you really connect with this person or people that you are involved with and a lot of people miss mm -hmm. that or just really don't know that that's a thing that exists that we can have deep and enduring connections and relationships that are in forms other than one yeah. person one other person well so I, talk I, a I lot think about that, that you know what comes to, to mind for me typically is, you know, men having multiple wives, you know, I don't know if it's the reality TV shows of the, you know, the sister wives or, you know, even seeing in other cultures where men have multiple wives, but it, there's not a lot of exposure to women being able to make those choices to have, to be in polyamorous relationships. Is that something that, is a myth that comes up a lot as well that you see? I think that's true. You know, there is the, the sister wives image or something that has to do with a man being the one in control and sort of like, a, oh, if a mm -hmm. guy can get two women or more, whatever, that's great. You know, that's sort of like a, a machismo thing or, or something like that. And Polly polyamory community really wants to talk about that that is a form that can exist you know they're also any i mean there's so many different terms for ways of relating you could be in a triad you could be in a v you could be in a a network of friends that are you know between casual lovers and like lifelong partners or whatever but there's yes there's an idea that it's more of a male-centered I don't know if I'd say ego driven, but, but certainly <clears throat> geared toward a male gaze for male pleasure. And that's really mm -hmm. not how the, what happens in the community. You know, it's, it's really much more about equality and people being able to choose their own relationships mm -hmm. powerfully. Yeah. That um, definitely no sounds much gender. more empowering than, than the images that we sometimes see in, in society. On this show, I always try to shed light on limiting beliefs because that's where I feel like we can help other sisters who may have the same or similar limiting beliefs. But what limiting beliefs or fears did you have to confront and overcome in order to fully embrace who you are and to be able to do the work that you do? Hmm. I think that... Even people who are very progressive and want to forge new places for people to go and and, and ways for people to be, sometimes mm -hmm. then create their own new structure that mm -hmm. isn't supposed to be crossed or changed. And I have definitely run into issues around race where people look at me and they assume that a black 
person should like this music and should have this emphasis or this this set of politics or you know whatever it's 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 it can be a big a long list of who you're supposed to be and even among activists it can really be a challenge sometimes and and i understand or at least i try to understand a lot of the the desire to create community and to create cultures where we can share together and those are really important and i think sometimes people who are not necessarily um in line with every tenet of those whether it's cultural or or political or have what have mm-hmm. you can be like it's you could still feel like an outsider so i've been i can't say i've been doing a lot of work around it but i've been doing my own psychological work for years around insisting on being myself and showing up in those spaces and being trying to be authentic even when it's scary and it would be easier to not just kind of keep be quiet you know mm-hmm. trying trying to bridge those yeah. gaps i think is so important it sounds like the the limiting belief which you reject is that you are an outsider in any in any of those communities and but unfortunately you have to confront that or you have confronted that in multiple situations and just had to overcome that feeling or, you know, maybe that thought that might come up that you were an outsider. Uh, yes, I think that's true sometimes. And, and I think it's also true that sometimes creating new ways of being and saying uh, you're welcome yeah. in my space too is a thing to do. It's not always about joining a group as it is and, and insisting on being myself if it's not a fit. It might be about all right, I can respect that and I can come to your event and I can also create what feels more, even more authentic to me. And I don't have any exact examples of this in my head right now, but that's a beautiful way that to a theme overcome well. that, you know, create your own, <laughs> create your own that's open and off, even more authentic. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's an awesome way to overcome that. Your your bio states that your work and your life flow in the current between black and white, gay and straight, masculine and feminine, monastic and mundane. So my my own assumption is that being (laughs) inclusive is a good thing because it helps us to build stronger community. But I could be biased in that. So I just wanted to kind of check in for a minute and check in on my own biases and just to get your thoughts on being included without needing to fit in is inclusion actually the, you know, the thing that we want. Um, is that a good thing or is it better to exist and, and, and work in parallel or maybe even to, you know, create your own space and be in parallel? Yes, that is, that is also an excellent question. And I think it's one that we really are working with a lot in political spaces and figuring out where what that where that goes. I believe very much in inclusion ultimately. I want to include people who are queer and straight and poly and monogamous and all all of those things, you know, who can discuss together and live together and and certainly I I really appreciate multiracial multicultural spaces and the ability to flow within all of those things and experience together. So I, yeah, I really, that is ultimately where 
I dwell the most and feels most important to me. And at the same time, I really also know that taking time away to separate into our various groups is can also be very powerful. You know, I've gone to and performed at women's music festivals, for example, where it's no one, no male person, you know, under mm-hmm. over the age of six would even be allowed on the property, you know, and it's, it's a really cool space to be for, for a weekend. I, I know a lot of people do live much more of their life in that kind of a segregated space. I wouldn't choose that for myself, but it is a, it, it is a good thing. It's, um, I do appreciate being able to communicate with just black folks in some spaces. I went to a, a recent online healing kind of afternoon for activists of color, and that felt really, really powerful and uh, healing in some ways. There are times when people separate again into gender. There was a group that I was a part of where there was an afternoon where there was a, a group where the men met and the women met. And it felt important to me to create a place for people who identify as gender fluid and non-binary. And I wound up leading that group because it felt like more fitting and, and, and just to create, create another place for people who didn't necessarily feel fully embodied by the other two that are assumed. And it was, it was good. And it was good to have a few people who wanted to talk about those issues and take that time away for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So. It really is both and, I guess, is my answer that, yes, I really love blended, multicultural, everyone together kind of world. And that's what I, that's where I thrive the most. And I think that's where I got that in my bio, because it really describes mm-hmm. me. I'm in, I'm in the in-betweens of all of those things, you know. And, yeah, and sometimes take a moment for ourselves and in, in whatever segment we want to take ourselves out with and, and communicate and find the places where we need to speak to the greater community, how we need to be active and how we need to just yep. go to Back our to own blanket, blanket fort. fort. You know? <laughs> yes. We have to give Wendy the shout okay, out. For that. Shout out to her, Wendy. Uh, I love it. Her phrase. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, and I, I love this concept and this, what's sort of coming out here in terms of, yes, let's make, let's make the larger space inclusive for everybody and safe for everybody to be in but then let's also honor these smaller spaces where we get to kind of go and be in our little niches or in in spaces where it's it's a lot more specific to some of our specific needs so i like that both and you know so we can have i, I started off talking about clicks so we can have our clicks but let's also have a bigger space where everybody's included because there are things, powerful work that we can do with the benefit of more people. And then there's powerful work that we can do with the benefit of the uh, a smaller set of people who can come up with more intimate ideas and have much more intimate connection. So I, I, I'm liking that both and. Yes, me too. And I'm, I'm really, that's, that's the world I want to live in and, and the world I try to, to manifest in the work that I do. So I hope, I think I'm, I think I'm on the right track there. And I, and it does make mm-hmm. space. But. So I know we talked about your spirituality a little bit in terms of, uh, how you incorporated it into your music. But I just wanted to give you another opportunity to talk about the role that it plays in your life and in your work. Yes. 
in my work, I think it it shows up maybe as much as other things do conversations about love or desire or anger or divine energy, whatever it is, you know, I think I just, I'm in a place now where rather than doing specific work around spirituality, I just want to allow it to show up when it needs to in, in my writings or whatever I'm doing. And in my life, I know I'm much healthier and more balanced when I meditate Mm -hmm. and do practices like that. You know, whether whatever whatever brings that kind of stillness, whether it's meditative music or doing a, a, a really my a daily sitting practice is, mm-hmm. is the best for me. I don't I can fall off the wagon from it sometimes, which isn't the best. But I, you know, but I'm very aware of it being really a bedrock practice for me. And I love ritual and gathering. So we recently are all three of us uh, co-hosts got together with another friend of ours and had our, a, a ritual for Samhain, which is Halloween, but in the pagan tradition, it is the, the holiday of Samhain. And gathering around spirituality, and in this case, we're honoring those who had passed in the year before, and it's sort of a very somber but healing time, actually. It was, it was really good. It was really something that feels necessary in my life to to pay attention to i know that i'm i'm better for for gathering with people and sharing spirituality and connecting with nature and that sort of thing so yeah i'm grateful for for that in my life for me as well spirituality grounds me and and keeps me uh, connected to a higher purpose and something larger than myself so i think that especially in a society that seems to have become more individualistic, it's, it's helpful to be able to see something larger than yourself. Well, this has been a, a very enlightening conversation, and I'm so glad that we had this time to spend together. I just wanted to close with asking you, first, where can we find your music and secondly, how can we reach out to you, follow your work, and also your podcast? Absolutely. You can get my music and download it on iTunes or Amazon and streaming services like Spotify, iHeartRadio, really kind of wherever you get your music. And you can contact me through my website if you, I know that actual <laughs> physical music still does exist. So if you want a CD or something like that and, and some other download options, you can go to my website at robinrene.com or just reach out at info at robinrene.com. You, you can find me there. I'm on the web at, uh, on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on uh, Instagram, Robin Renee at Robin Renee Music, at Spirit Rocks Sexy <laughs> on Twitter. Really, if you just Google me, you'll get Robin Renee everything for the most part. Um, but that's there. And for the podcast, yes, we are at leftscape.com, L-E-F-T-S-C-A-P-E.com. And at Leftscape on basically all social media. We've got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash leftscape. Thank you for listening to this episode of SOAR. If you'd like to reach me for coaching, you can reach me at www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And if you want to follow SOAR, you can follow Sisters Overcoming and Rising on Instagram or Stephanie Brown Coaching on Facebook. Goodbye for now.